welcome once again to Cinemaholics. You're listening to the soundtrack for Federico Fellini's La Dolce Vita, music by Nina Rota. I am John Negroni. I, I used to be the box office columnist for Atom Tickets 84 long years ago. I also was the head writer of Cinemaholics.com, and I would occasionally write these these things. You you might have heard of them. They were once called books. With me this evening, he was a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend. Can you imagine such a thing? He would also review films for Cinemaholics.com. It is my old... Long-time, decades-spanning friend, Mr. Will Ashton. So, We apologize for the long hiatus. We did not plan for this episode to take 84 years to make. My goodness, but Will Ashton, I must ask your voice. You sound like not a day or two has passed since we talked about big-time adolescence, the banker. Oh, the memories are flooding back. What is your secret? How do you still sound so so young? You know, just just my jeans, I guess. Well, I'd have to get myself a pair. Oh, look here. Our producer, Den, Sam Nolan's younger brother, has just slipped me a post-it note. How fun. It says here, John, the bit is getting old. You've made your point that the self-isolation imposed by the pandemic has made the days feel longer and therefore... 84 years when it's really just been a week. So you can talk normal now so that this episode can take less than three hours to finish. <laughs> Producer Den, what a strange choice of interruption. I do see his last point, Will Ashton. This could take a while to record. What with my old age slowing down my speech a bit. Perhaps I can use this old sound mixing box to my right to alter the speed and tenor of my vocal box. So to the world, it will sound like my voice from 2020. <laughs> Look at that. It works so well. Well, that's a little bit better. You can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on Cinemaholics.com. And you can write into the show anytime, mainly to complain to me, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support us directly by becoming one of our monthly patrons on patreon.com, don't forget to go to patreon.com slash cinemaholics. And of course, we're so thankful for everyone who's been using the Rate This Podcast link. It's been it's been great, Will. We're getting new reviews every week. How fun. Ratethispodcast.com slash cinemaholics. And you can find out how you can rate and review this podcast Right from where you listen. Cool. So, Will. Yeah. You doing all right? Yeah, I'm okay. How you doing? Okay. You know, it's uh, the days are long. The days are a little lonely. Um, sure. It's been crazy 80 years. Uh, how has been? Uh, how have you been filling the days yourself? What What have you been? What been up to? Uh, not really much. Just wake up, do some writing, watch a movie or a TV show, go to bed, wake up, do some writing, watch a movie or a TV show, go to bed. Mm, this the, this it, sounds suspiciously like your life before this. Yeah, episode. yeah. <laughs> it's just a little more uh, uh, isolated. I, I like that someone pointed out that it's like America's having a, a bottle episode right now. That's how I feel. I consider it like America in particular is having a bit of a timeout, which sure. it needs. Um, and are you? Do you have the the uh, opportunity to stay with family? So you're not like totally yeah. alone. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not not. Exactly by myself right now, but 
Yeah, it's it, still it's, that's of, great though because you have yeah. you know your sister and your parents. So mm -hmm. uh, I yeah. know like a lot of people aren't as lucky. I, I'm I'm fortunate because uh, I I do just live here with my fiance, but I get to see her family. We're self isolating, of course, and very very much limiting our exposure to other people. But yeah, watching movies and you know catching up on things, rewatching things. Uh, it has been difficult to to look at. Oh, here are the uh, the movies we're going to be talking about, or I guess one of them's not even a movie, but the things that we're going to be talking about on this show, it really is more of a, all right, here's some new stuff you can watch. Uh, hopefully sure. we're going to talk about some things that people are interested in, but it's so weird not having the latest movie that's out in movie theaters as our guideline for what to watch, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think we mentioned this already, but I mean, going to the theater is like in the scheme of things, not super important, but there is something that does feel very lacking, I guess, for me and probably for you to not have that escapism to go somewhere where you can, you know, see a movie for a couple hours and let the world go away. I mean, obviously, we can do that from from streaming sites and whatnot, but not it's not really the same. I'd say that the two big reviews we're going to get into and, and the latter two movies, Crip Camp and Slay the Dragon, they're documentaries. They're things that, you know, Crip Camp's on Netflix, Slay the Dragon's VOD. They're things that, you know, you can watch that they wouldn't have dominated the conversation, the cultural conversation, if they had gotten limited theatrical releases. I think Slay the Dragon was supposed to have a limited theatrical release. Uh, and Tiger King and Bloodshot, though. These are two things that would have been competing culturally. Bloodshot would have been this movie that would have come out weeks ago. Mulan was actually supposed to come out this week. But Bloodshot was supposed to come out a few weeks ago. And it's something that would be in theater. So you and I would be quicker to talk about it. But Tiger King, Tiger King, despite its title, is no monarchy because the general public chose Tiger King as the thing that they care about. And even though it's been out for a while, we decided, well, we got to talk about it. We got to talk about Tiger King because everybody's seen it and it's the thing and it's not even a movie. It's a unlimited documentary series. But yeah, I think that that's kind of interesting that we're we're using more of the whims of, I guess, pop culture to decide what we're talking about a little bit more heavily than we would like a big studio budget movie. But I'm OK with that, honestly. Yeah, I mean, we've somewhat done things similar because we did the two fire festival documentaries i remember we, we yeah. reviewed those i think like a year ago and then like i mentioned before we'd done mini series before like maniac so it's not completely out of the realm for us but it is a little weird to do not only a documentary again as a main review but a documentary series but like you said just kind of following the tides and that seems to be what everyone is talking about this week so makes sense I also mentioned uh, the, the music at the beginning was uh, La Dolce Vita, one of my favorite movies. Uh, the reason I included that in the music for this week is because it recently celebrated its, uh, I think, 60, 60th anniversary. So it came out in 1960. Uh, it's one of Fellini's more divisive films. It's certainly one of his best, in my opinion. And uh, you can actually watch it right now on Amazon Prime Video, but I think you have to have one of the special channel subscriptions. It's not super accessible. Like, I don't think you can get it on a lot of uh, like rental buying platforms. You kind of have to search a bit. But if you can get your hands on La Dolce Vita, I think it is on YouTube because I think it might be in the public domain definitely don't want to uh, say wrong on that. Uh, I think it, I don't think it has subtitles. So I think you have to, 
actually like go out there and and get it, you know. But it is wonderful. It's like a three-hour movie, great for self-isolation. I've been rewatching it and loving it all over again. And uh, it was something that was considered for our extra milestone. But for our one and only watch off topic, we have uh, we have determined what the new extra milestone is going to be for the month of February, which of course already happened, but we're behind. Uh, that movie that the listeners chose was Pinocchio in a bit of a landslide. I, there wasn't a lot of interest in some of the other films. I think Brazil got one or two votes, but yeah, Pinocchio swept it. So we're going to be talking about that movie, which came out in 1940. Uh, so 70th anniversary is going to be our first uh, animated film, I think, and in our first Disney film. So it's going to be great. Yeah, no, it'll be our first animated film that won. I think there's been a yeah. couple. There are been there have been a few that were potential candidates, but or yeah. were candidates. But um, I'm surprised that Breakfast Club didn't catch more heat. That it didn't. Been... Yeah, I think it got one vote, maybe. Uh, I And I was going to say like, the other animated movie that did have traction but didn't quite clinch it was Iron Giant. That was the right, big one. Yeah. I think that's because it was a little bit too recent, but Pinocchio does definitely fit the extra mm-hmm. milestone mold of like, okay, it's been out for a long time. It's due for a bit of a discussion. Yeah. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Is that the second an- full length animated Disney film after it is. Snow White? Yeah. yeah so, so that- it came out a few years after Snow White. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty fascinating in itself to see how much, I mean, Snow White's a gorgeously animated film, but the yeah. way that the animation has, uh, um, you know, moved on. I mean, even elevated and evolved from there was pretty incredible. I was actually talking about that with um, Matt recently when we were Skyping. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to rewatch that film and talk about it with you guys whenever we get around to that. Before we jump into Tiger King, well, Ashton, I think you have something to plug, don't you? Oh, do I? I think so. <laughs> I think there's a new uh, episode or something. Yeah, yeah, no, um, yeah, we we made a new episode of Any Ogre Tits Ogre. Uh, just before the month ended of March. And uh, yeah, you can check that out now. It's on Apple and all your other streaming services or uh, audio services. And uh, yeah, it's with our friend David and it was pretty fun. So I hope people check it out. Yeah, I checked it out. Uh, it's good good stuff as always. Um, like, that's It Ain't Ogre Till It's Ogre. Yeah. You can also find that on cinemaholics.com if you go to the podcast tab. Mm-hmm. But all yeah. right. Let's talk about our first newish release. Again, like a lot of this stuff, the only the only actual new things are the two documentaries. But uh, we are going to be kicking this off with a couple of I can't say movies. It's so annoying with a couple of releases that uh, definitely are some probably worth some conversation, worth some guidance if you're interested in seeing something new this week or this weekend. And apologies for this episode coming out a little bit late. We needed some extra time to watch everything. Plus, I had some uh, personal things to take care of this weekend, so we decided to wait until this week to actually do the episode. Um, so apologies for the lateness, but let's get into it. Tiger King. Murder, yeah. Mayhem, and Madness. Uh, this yeah. came out on March 20th. So it's actually been out for over a week. And it's like a week and a half, actually. And it is a limited true crime documentary series. It's only seven episodes long. And it follows not one, not two, but like four or five different big cat uh, zookeepers. Um, including the big cat conservationist Carol Baskin, who owns Big Cat Rescue, and her longtime rival Joe Exotic, who is, I believe, the titular Tiger King. But it is this is one of those yeah. things where you can ask, like, who is the Tiger King? Is it him? Well, is it this I mean, guy? Is it this other yeah, guy? Right. I mean, I, I think it's meant to be him, though, because uh, yeah, he, I mean, <laughs> yeah, he he goes by the name. He 
adopted pretty wholeheartedly. So yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, literally speaking, that's the case. But uh, thematically, I think there's a little bit more wiggle room there, in my opinion. But anyway, so uh, one of the things about this, too, is like I want to gauge you for this, Will, because I'm not sure how much you knew about this guy going into the documentary. I'll say briefly, the only the only time I had ever heard of this guy was when he was running for president, because even in the, the documentary series, they actually show the clip from John Oliver. I remember in 2016, John, I remember that episode where John Oliver was like, these are the third party candidates and Joe Exotic happened to be one of them. And I just remember being like, what a weird, you know, person. I'd never heard of him before. He runs a zoo in Oklahoma called, uh, I forget, I forget what the name of it is, but it's like Joe Exotic Animal Park or something like that. And the documentary follows his political career, but mainly it follows like who this guy is, uh, some of the crimes he's been involved in, and then the general big cat zookeeping world and all of its misadventures there within. And it's kind of taken pop culture by storm. A lot of people have seen this. People who I I don't think watch a lot of things like people I know who don't watch a lot of documentaries are watching this, right? It reminds yeah. me of like making a murder, like when that kind of caught fire and wild, wild country, like that sort of thing. This is like sure. the next Netflix moment, I suppose. But uh, yeah, what about you, Will? What did you know about this going into it? Um... Not a lot. I mean, I, I remember hearing that name Joe Exotic at some point. I don't remember where. It might have been when he ran for president. So I don't know. I I know some point I heard that name, but I didn't know anything about him or his real like whole, whole deal. Uh, just like I, I came into this pretty fresh, all things considered. That's probably the best way to get into it. Uh, so this was yeah. directed by Eric Good, who kind of kind of an interesting person himself. Uh, he he's sort of been involved in a lot of uh, zookeeping. He was uh, the founder of actually a, a turtle conservancy, and uh, but he also makes films. And he's kind of a, an intriguing guy as far as documentarians go. Uh, also, Rebecca Chaiklin, yeah. who I'm not as familiar with, um, directed some of this. But yeah. It, 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 this is one of those documentaries where I think a lot of people are watching it kind of in one or two sittings. And I'll put it out there that I think that, yes, the intrigue in this, all of the like the back and forth between Joe and Carol and all of the tw- there's so many twists that we dare not spoil. This documentary is kind of insane what happens. And there's a lot of just completely out of nowhere. Like, oh, OK, th- this is what this what oh scarface oh the guy okay you know there's a lot of moments like that Uh, i did not like it though by the end of this documentary i felt bad for watching it i felt like it was kind of a waste of my time like i felt like i was in a zoo of like staring at these like ridiculous people kind of gawking at them and getting absolutely no value whatsoever out of this documentary but i know some people are liking this and they're feeling like this is actually like you know a well-told uh complex web of stories with these people uh but where do you land well um yeah so i mean going off your earlier point i really don't watch that many documentary series i mean i've I've said before i don't even really get the chance to watch as many documentaries as i like film wise um so i think this is the first one i've watched in its entirety since the jinx on hbo so i i mean that should say something i guess like i never got around the finishing wild wild country or like mcmillions or a few others that I started never got around the finishing. So there is something to be said about the fact that this one, like I even beyond when we were getting ready to review it, like I felt inclined to see this thing all the way through. A lot of it's like you said, because the story is just so uh, 
ludicrous and over the top in a way that is filled with all these like large in life figures that you just kind of feel compelled to watch it. But I never felt that guilt factor. I feel that you're referring to. I mean, I think for me, it didn't feel like any waste of time because the story itself felt pretty indicative of just like a weird, very American story of like, yeah, you could look at it as like, you know, it's just these weird kind of figures that we'll probably never interact with in life. But they have these weird exotic animals that they live with and all this stuff. But I just feel like all the personalities at hand offer this very compelling look at just like the people who tend to have like a weird relationship with the media and how they perceive themselves, how people relate to them. And I thought all those aspects, among others, like you said, that I don't want to spoil, make for a really compelling and interesting story. But there is that factor. And I was thinking about this a lot. It's something that I think about with documentaries where it's like, how much credit do the filmmakers get for telling the story? How much do they get credit for just having to be there and shooting when like a bunch of crazy things or weird, interesting things are happening? And this documentary kind of falls somewhere along that where it's like, do they get more credit just because they happen to be there when like, you know, Joe Exotic's life just falls apart? Or do they get credit for how it's presented? I think it's a mix of both. Like, I think... As far as some things, as far as like the structure of the story and how it expands over the course of like seven episodes, I think it's a little shoddy at times. Like some things feel a little haphazard. The way that some things are framed is a little odd. But at the same time, it's one of the few documentary shows I can think of in recent years. Like I said, I don't have a ton of experience and this is part of it because I feel like most of the time with documentary series, you have what's basically a movie extended out into a show. And there's only been a couple where... I feel like they've justified the length of it and the jinx was one of them. And this is one where it's like, yeah, I mean, for all the problems I had with it, I could watch 16 more episodes of this. Like I, it just so intriguing for what it is and wholeheartedly engaging that I was, yeah, I was with it. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not in the same vein. I, so, so where I'm at is I think that what you mentioned there, that there are, there's like a couple of compelling points the documentary makes about uh, what celebrity does to a person, you know, in the beginning of this, you're like, you you do get the sense that Joe really cares about these animals. And then eventually he stops caring about them. My issue is that, first of all, I think this documentary is way too long. I don't think it needs to be seven 45 minute episodes. There's a lot of like fat in this that could have been trimmed. And it's, it's just so all over the place. And like, I get that it, it allows for some addicting storytelling, but it also just it just feels like it's just trying to shock you for the sake of it. And even though it's so long, it leaves out so much information that I think is sure. kind of crucial to contextualizing this guy. Uh, so I did a little bit more digging into who this guy is because I, I could feel it like I could feel like this documentary is sort of taking his side a lot on certain things and kind of glossing over some of his Somewhat. more atrocious behavior. Yeah, it's it's not like it's. It's like saying he's always right or that the things that he does wrong aren't wrong. I just felt like there were times when it really emphasizes his likability and the loyalty of his staff and downplays like I think in my, like just my reading of it, the animal cruelty and the abuse. I think it just focuses on him more just because he they need to have a central protagonist and that they decide it's him because he's like the most weird, charismatic one of the group. Yeah, so that's yeah. all I was going to say. I mean, I, pre I appreciate that it, it doesn't pull punches or anything like that. But, you know, <clears throat> but I do think that I don't know, there there is this weird balance between like this guy does seem to have like a likability to him. And it's hard to reckon that with the bad things that he does. And I just I got the sense that the doc, the guy who made the documentary kind of liked him and wanted to, I don't know, wanted to strike a weird balance between 
the audience liking him versus the audience being shocked by him versus the audience being like, this is terrible. Like what happened to these tigers. And when the documentary kind of winds down and you start to understand the implications of this, I don't know. I just, I just felt it like th- that wasn't the documentary I had just seen. So I, I felt sure. very unfulfilled by it personally. See, I'm kind of, I agree with you on some of those points and I don't on others. I do think that one of the biggest hindrances of it, and this is what you're kind of alluding to is that like, the central point of it seems to be like, hey, like it's the animals here. Like, don't like don't mistreat animals and stuff like that. But that kind of feels like a point that's kind of like tacked on towards the end. And like you said, that doesn't fully feel earned in a way that's just like like you spend so much time focusing on these weird personalities that like that message kind of got lost in the, in the scheme of things. And I think that's going back to like what you're saying, where I think structurally and I was alluding to this as well. There is just a lot of mishaps where it just feels kind of all over the place. I don't agree. I don't agree with you in that. I think there's enough story here. I just think that they kind of focus on weird things or like maybe some things too much and not enough. I think that's more of a structure problem than in terms of not justifying the length. Like I said, I do think they have enough story here Uh, and there's enough that's compelling here that I think warrants the length. But um, I just ultimately... Where I, I guess disagree is that I never really got the sense they were sympathizing with him. I, I do think that they, because he's like the central character, they do kind of show the complexities of it. But I never really felt sympathy for him. Like, I never felt like he was being wronged in any particular way. I think the show is pretty adamant about saying that, like, yeah, like, you know, like he is kind of funny. And, you know, you can see why people are endeared by him. But at the end of the day, he is a truly demented, weird person. They all are. And just for different ways and for different reasons. And I, I never really got the sense that uh, the show was really sympathizing with any of them. If anything, you could argue, I feel that they're too cruel to them and the, that like they were like willing to, um, you know, exploit them and make them, you know, spectacles in and of itself. But at the same time, they're all pretty terrible people from what we can gather. So I don't really feel any real sympathy for that. Uh, aspect of it that might otherwise in a different documentary yeah I, I guess i guess where i'm at is the reason i came to those conclusions of where i feel like the documentary is kind of covering over some certain things is that you never get the sense that they dig further into what he was doing with these guys who are addicted to meth like they really just don't press in that and that's that's kind of a big deal like what how he was taking advantage of certain people and then also like little things like the fact that the documentary never makes it clear that he's not singing in those like in those music videos, yeah. like yeah. He, they're acting like that's his voice. And like the documentary, like it's right. so easy to be like, by the way, that's not his voice. Like they hired somebody right. to like that's such a weird thing to leave out. Like I agree. There's that. no way that they didn't know that. And like it it gives context to like you were saying this demented. So those those are some of the reasons why I'm getting to that conclusion. But I do want to be clear that like, like I don't I don't look down or judge anybody who watches this to pass the time and gets something out of it, is entertained by it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. But I also fully understand people maybe closer to where I'm at who just it's not worth the like seeing animal cruelty happen. That that's the thing. It's like it made me really uncomfortable. And that's just a personal thing for me of like I just don't like seeing tigers in cages being mistreated. Sure. And if I'm going to the way that this documentary sort of does it to sort of, I don't know, to, to tell a story about other people. And like, I, I don't know, there was something about that sat with me the wrong way. So I, I just am not as quite of a fan. So th- that's my final thought on it. Uh, I, I'm a C plus on this. C for Carol Baskin definitely murdered her husband. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'm not going to go on record on that, but <laughs> um, I'm, I'm a little bit brazen. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I do say, I do think though, they're weirdly, I thought they were actually kind of nice to Carol because I thought she was like equally quite as bad 
um, on some ways. But I also mm-hmm. don't really, I don't know. I also feel like uh, the show tends to be commenting on like sexism in her portrayal as well. So I don't know. I find that stuff interesting. But I do think, yeah, I do think it's important to note that, yeah, I mean, whenever I talk about it with anybody and they ask like whether they should check it out or anything, I do make a point to be like, hey, yeah, just so you know, there is like some pretty, you know, intense animal scenes and like scenes of animal cruelty like you said so that i think it's good to point out like if anyone does have uh, concerns about that or they understandably can't watch stuff like that i mean it's important to know going in but i don't know i guess i see where you're coming from i do think it is kind of cheap and shoddy in certain ways and i i do think the presentation of it could have been a little tighter a little bit stronger and i think that just comes down to maybe the filmmakers being fairly inexperienced when they told the story but I was engaged with it. I mean, I really enjoyed it. It got my mind off a lot of things right now, and I was able to be entertained by the spectacle of it. Uh, even if I don't fully agree with it morally, I don't really think the characters themselves are very moral to begin with, so I thought it was pretty fitting. And um, yeah, I mean, I think as just a goofy, weird, and somewhat melancholy story that I think has more going on than I think you're giving it credit, uh, I, I enjoyed it. But it's not like an amazing you know, full out masterpiece of a documentary or long form documentary. I think I just think it's a really solid, enjoyable uh, piece of Netflix binging entertainment. And for that, I'll give it a solid B. Yeah, I'm, I'm ultimately pretty high, I'm higher on this than you are. And I, I can see where you're coming from, though. All right. Well, that that's about it. That's a B for Big Cat. Big Cat will ask sure. And uh, yeah, this this is this has quickly become one of the most popular shows Netflix has released this year. Um, it was number one on they, they've done a new thing where they have like the top 10. They're kind of being a little bit more upfront with like, OK, these are specific rankings for how 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 much things are being published. And it, it gets updated daily, mm-hmm. though. I mean, I, I question how much validity there is in that. But I do think this is an insanely popular series just going off of the social media response. And the yeah. fact that, like you said, um, I don't you know, think there's like, a I, reason to doubt how popular this is. No, no, no. I mean, I'm, I'm not doubting that's it's popularity. I'm, I, I just have questions about how much Netflix portrays, how much things are popular or not. But with this, I don't think there's any doubt. Like, it is a huge hit for them, and I think it's what the kind of hit that they want. Where it's like, you know, it just came from word of mouth. Like, it wasn't like they were overly promoting it or anything. It's just like, hey, we watched this weird tiger show or documentary on Netflix, and it's like, no, yeah. what's that? And and because everyone's quarantined right now because of the coronavirus, they have ample time to watch it. Uh, so it just kind of came at the right time, and I think it it became that Netflix formula they really want. And I'm sure, and I'm sure Netflix will fund a biopic at some point. Yeah, uh, probably. they'll probably be one or two more uh i'm curious who they'll get the play joe exotic i have my picks and i'm sure you do too but we'll get to there whenever we review that film in 2024 or 2023 or whatever yeah whenever it comes out uh to be clear i think uh the some of the skepticism you're talking about so people don't misunderstand or think that we're just taking shots at netflix it's just netflix has been not always super transparent about what it counts as a watch so yeah. not trying to say that like they're totally lying or making things up i don't think there's a lot of evidence for anything like that uh, but there is a little bit of like possible twisting of the numbers of like, OK, how many people actually like started Tiger King versus how many mm-hmm. people watched the whole thing or watched a few episodes. Yeah. They're not super upfront about that. So it's hard for us to gauge the actual popularity of things. So I just want to put that out there. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want it to come off like you can't trust Netflix like stuff. Like yeah, that. no, 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 no. I, 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 that's a good that's a fair point, though. I, I It reminds me of um, I think one of the heads of Netflix, I think, like wrote a book or something. And I remember someone tweeted, like, if you read 15 percent of the book, you can claim you read the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. All right. That's Tiger King uh, playing on Netflix right now.
All right, let's talk about something that was supposed to be in theaters. It even got a theatrical poster. It was going to be one of the next big superhero films, and that is Bloodshot. It did go to theaters just for like a weekend. Yeah, so it came out March 13th. It wasn't in a lot of theaters. Uh, I guess I should say it was supposed to be like a big theatrical movie. Like it was supposed to make you know millions and millions of mon- uh, dollars. It ended up making like I think uh, 30 million um, in its... Uh, limited run which you know not terrible so believe it or not the budget for this reported budget is about 45 million so probably was going to eke out a little bit of profit maybe break even but that movie is bloodshot and instead of kind of having the box office to itself in this genre for a little bit it shut down it's not in theaters anymore it's now on vod you can buy it right now on iTunes for like $20. You can own Bloodshot forever. Uh, unless uh, you're, yeah, press and you got a link or something. But uh, I don't know anybody who did. I don't know anyone either. So so this is a this is based on a Valiant Comics character. I don't know. Have you ever read a lot of Valiant Comics, Will? Uh, I can't say I have, John. Yeah, me neither. I mean, I read some in the 90s. I'm not, I never read anything about Bloodshot, though. I've definitely heard of this character, seen him on book stands, things like that. But I, I went into this not really knowing much about him. But this is actually this superhero sort of movie was supposed to be a new Valiant Comics cinematic universe, a shared universe, kind of like Marvel and DC yeah, and all that. Go figure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it kind of didn't work out that way. Uh, this is uh, the first film, the directorial, directorial debut of David S. F. Wilson. And uh, the screenplay is from Jeff Wadlow and Eric Heiser. Wadlow, of course, a little bit more uh, little bit more um, recognizable to people. I yeah. think we mentioned him earlier because he he's known for uh, Fantasy Island, Truth or Dare, uh, Kick-Ass 2, Never Back Down. So he, he's been around for a while. And this is a, I think he worked on this as an adaptation. Movie stars Vin Diesel, Isaac Gonzalez. I haven't seen her in a while, probably since like maybe Baby Driver. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I saw Isaac Gonzalez. Sam yeah, Huyen, Toby Kebble, and Guy Pierce. I don't remember the last time I saw her before Baby Driver either. Yeah. So, uh, we, we we can't say too much about this movie without giving away one of its uh, one of its key twists. But uh, the movie opens. We're following a marine who is killed. Uh, even uh, he's killed at one point by like a maniacal villain, and they kill his wife. And this secretive organization kind of six million dollar man's him, brings him back to life. All of a sudden, he has all these nanites in his body. He has superpowers essentially. And he decides to go uh, t- settle the score, revenge. It's like a 90s action movie. But then also it's kind of not. So the movie kind of twists and turns from there. Uh, very, very interesting setup. Uh, I don't want to say too much more than that. So with that, oh, and I should say this is the latest Sony movie. I, I can't imagine they were hoping this would be, or I can't imagine they were hoping this would be like, okay, we've got our Spider-Man stuff over here, and then <laughs> here's Bloodshot. This is the next big thing. Not sure that's going to be the case based on circumstances a little bit out of their control, honestly. But all right, what did you think of Bloodshot, Will Ashen? Um, so I was... I guess going into this, I was expecting something like Meathead Upgrade, like a kind of more like 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 a dumber but more goofy version of that film that had maybe a higher budget, but didn't really have any of the like sophisticated commentary that film had, assuming you think it had sophisticated commentary. But, um, you know, I mean, I, I went into this kind of expecting something goofy and fun, and I think 
for the most part, like for like, I'd say the first half of this, like 45 minutes, maybe 50 minutes, I was digging it and like a way I was like, okay, you know, no masterpiece, but it's fine. You know, it's kind of enjoyable. I I, I appreciate that Vin Diesel seems to kind of know his niche. He has this weird kind of fascinating career where he like started out like making the short film called Multifacial. I don't know if you've seen that, where like that was kind of like his foot in the door and that's how he like, got and to know like Steven Spielberg and that's how he got into like Steven Private Ryan and like that's how he like, made uh like Boiler Pitch Black and the, yeah Boiler Room uh you know eventually Fast and Furious and then like he kind of pivoted to this like weird like like kind of more juvenile adolescent sort of like action movie where like it kind of feels like an eight-year-old's yeah. imagination come to life triple x uh, right yeah <laughs> fast and Which, furious all that in some ways like it's easy to criticize that it's easy to bring it down but there's also something about it that's kind of charming in a weird way like i don't think he makes particularly great movies but i think he's true to himself and i think he produces and films the movies that he wants to make like i think he's totally happy with where he is in life and what movies he's making and that's fine i think there's some like Certainly with the later Fast and Furious movies, I think he kind of found that style with a mix of like over the top practical stunts mixed with like earnest sentimentality. I think that really works for those films. But I think everything else has been kind of fit or miss. And I think for this film, like I was with it for like the setup of it and like kind of the build up to like this, like, like you said, like this kind of new superhero. And then after a point, like after the twist, which is enjoyable and interesting, it kind of just became this huge, like wonky CG fight fest that was, you know, I mean, not terrible, but my investment in it significantly started to shrink. And I guess by the end of it, I just kind of lost interest by not really having a firm emotional investment with it in, to begin with, but just feeling that overall it just kind of felt fine like I, i'm not mad about it I, I didn't think it was amazing but if this is meant to like kickstart a franchise it just felt kind of so-so to me in a way that you know i admire vin diesel for doing his thing i'm always happy to see guy pierce but if this is meant to like jumpstart some franchise I, I didn't really see a lot of potential here outside of uh those opening minutes interesting i you know I, i'm curious did you know the twist going into the movie um, I guess it depends on what you prefer to the twist. Are you talking about like the, the one closer to the beginning or about halfway through? About halfway through, maybe. Uh, yeah, I mean, the trailers gave away a lot. That's what I was going <laughs> to so say. It's like, yeah. I already knew it was going to happen because I saw the trailer. So for me, I spent the first part of this being like, all right, when are we going to get to the part where the actual movie starts? And I'm really curious what it would have been like to have seen this movie and that had just happened out of nowhere because there is something kind of exciting about that premise and something that there's a point at where this movie kind of takes on like a cabin in the woods mentality of like, here's how action movies work. And sure. I wanted way more of that. Like there was not enough. There's a good amount, but there was not enough of it to really fuel my interest. But I'm kind of where you're at. Like, I don't hate this at all. Like I honestly, I watched it. I'm kind of with you. I think the first half and a little bit of the second half. I'm like, yeah, this is fine. I'm having a good time with this. This is, this is cool. Some of these effects are good. Some of them are terrible, but some of them are good. And then, yeah, like I quickly was like, all right, what? I'm ready for it to be over. <laughs> like there was nothing about the third acts, like the climax where I was like, man, that's the, that is, that is the, the big action set piece I've been waiting for, you know, like, but I also didn't have a moment where I was like, man, I really need a blue light to pierce the sky, split it in half, anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I guess my biggest issue is just that like by the end, like particularly the, the third act just felt like a, like video game simulation to me. Yes. Very uh, video game. <laughs> Which, you know, I mean, like, complete with the like I, silent protagonist that you don't really yeah, care about. Right. <laughs> and then just like the weirdly CG'd face. 
that kind of looks like Vin Diesel, but yeah. like also. Well, that's I think that's supposed to be the transformation of his character of yeah, like, okay, this is where he what he actually is in the comics, I guess. But I I didn't feel that because I never read the comic and I just sure. there was nothing about that was an intertextual moment of like, okay, well, if you love this character, that's supposed to be a big moment for you. But the movie doesn't you know extend that awesomeness or potential awesomeness sure. to everybody else yeah but um i guess for me when i looked up that the director was like a guy that did video games i was like oh okay that makes sense uh you know that that, that seemed very fitting to me but um yeah i mean it's a film better than serenity um, i guess well no it's funny because i was like that's what i was leading up to is like I felt like going into this, I was expecting like a like a rip off of Upgrade, and I ultimately got something more like a broy Serenity <laughs> here, like a more roided out version of Serenity. Which yeah. I mean, it's not nearly as crazy as that movie or like distinct, but um, yeah. I mean, I I think like you said, like maybe if I didn't really know like going in what it was going to be or where it was going to go, and I guess I was okay with the idea of it like sort of being meta commentary on action movies but it didn't really feel like the commentary or the jokes were like that inspired like it felt like they could have done more to push that and make yeah. them more interesting it just had this weird kind of like felt almost kind of smug like how satisfied it was with self for doing so little like it's just like oh like at one point a character's just like oh that's so cliche and it's just like okay right yeah. <laughs> so you know something's cliche good for you that doesn't really comment on it or do anything but uh you know i mean like that's where it kind of started to lose me i guess was like that and then like there's like uh like a British character that's like meant to be comic relief that didn't really do much for me. I'll disagree uh, with you there because so that was Lamorne Morris who gets to play this character named uh, Wiggins. Was that the guy from New, New Girl? Girl? Yeah, okay, yeah, that's what I Winston. Um, I actually really enjoyed him in this. I don't think he's even he's not British. <laughs> he's like doing no, an I accent, know, yeah. but uh, right. I I really I appreciated everything about that character. Honestly, I think it needed kind of a weird comic relief at that point for me to stay into it. It just felt forced to me. Like I, I, I don't have anything against comedic really. Yeah, characters. I it just felt like they were like, <laughs> like it just felt like do everything you can to make the co- the audience laugh. <laughs> like just like it just felt like such a like abrasive form of like comedic relief where it's like you know like if it, if you just like there like you know one or two times commenting but just like they felt like like the third act was like basically half devoted to him like. All right, what do you have to say about this? Like, what's your thoughts on this? Like, say something funny about this. And and I don't know, I guess, you know, I, I guess it would have been fine with it if it was just like here and there. But it felt so forced to me that I have nothing against the actor. It just felt like the filmmakers were so adamant about making that character work. It's, it's the writing. That, that turned me off. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say two things Um, because I don't have too much else to say besides that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm, first of all, I'm really bummed that Chad Sahelski and David Leisch didn't direct this. They were supposed to. And I think with them at the helm, like experienced stun action filmmakers who've brought us like Atomic Blonde and John Wick and like they, they could have really done something really cool with this character. I think there's a lot of potential in that character. I think the sure. main problem for me is kind of Vin Diesel. And like, I, I'll be honest, I've never been the biggest Vin Diesel fan anyway. Like I like sure. Chronicles of Riddick, you know, that's cool. And I like him when he's in some supporting roles, especially like the Fast and Furious movies. I think those are at their best when he's supporting and he's not like the big cheese. But there's just something really hollow and empty about his performance in a lot of his movies. There's just there's not enough energy to him. I think there's way more energy in the supporting cast. And I think he just doesn't work as the lead in this. Like throughout the movie, whenever he was at the forefront, I did not care. 
I cared way more about what was going on with the tech dude and Guy Pierce's like swarmy villainy nature and like all that extra stuff. Uh, even Isaac Gonzalez, I think she gets kind of short shrifted uh, throughout the movie, but even she has way more energy with way fewer like good dialogue to work with. So that, that's kind of where I land on it. I didn't hate this movie. I think it was fun. I think that a lot of people could watch it and have a good time. Um, I don't think it's worth $20 to own forever no. right now. Like not right. even close. But, you know, yeah. when it hits rental, there's plenty of people I would recommend it to. So I'm like a C plus. Yeah. I mean, going off what you said about Vin Diesel, I think when he's in this mode, like the Gary sort of like self-serious, like one motion kind of thing, I think that works fine in an ensemble. And when he's like, you you know, doing the crazy stunts like in the Fast and Furious movies, I think when he's meant to carry a film like this, especially a performance that's meant to be somewhat emotional, it doesn't really work. But I think that, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I've kind of mixed feelings about Vin Diesel in general. Like I, I kind of admire the guy. I kind of feel like his limitations are always too apparent um but i also i don't know i mean like like when i watch something like that multifacial short film i i wonder like what he could do if he was given like if he expanded himself even a little bit beyond kind of like these juvenile like dumb action movies but like i said it seems like he wants to do this and he's happy about it so more power to him as for the film itself i think i basically said everything i need to say about it i'm always happy to see guy pierce that's the only thing i really have to add um yeah. i think he's he's always fine as a villain um as a film, I think it's just totally kind of mediocre. I think it's fine in the beginning, but I, I think the kind of wonky special effects and just sort of uh, overly cliched story style kind of it, it endeared me at first and then it kind of lost me around the second half. So I gave it a firm C+. It's fine. Like you said, it's, it's an okay rental, but nothing you need to see. All right. So we're agreed on Bloodshot, double C plus whammy, sadly, and... I, fortunately, we can end this show on a couple positive notes because I did see two documentaries that I do recommend. First one is Crip Camp, and the, you can watch this right now on Netflix. This actually premiered at Sundance this past January, and I really wanted to see it. I just barely missed it. Um, I think it's it's uh, press screening just conflicted with something else that I wanted to see. But the full title is Crip well, Camp. Was, uh, was that one of the opening films of Sundance? Uh, I don't remember. I don't. I thought it was because I think that was the day you saw the the blind spotting guys movie. I think if it was, it was like the second half of the first night. But I, I I'd okay. have to check I'd, to be totally sure. sure. Fair enough. Yeah. The full title for this is Crip Camp: A Disability Revolution. This is actually the latest film under Higher Ground Productions, which is Barack and Michelle Obama's production studio so their last one was american factory this is the next one i think this also has some oscar potential because it is a it is a very inspiring watch and it's a well-made documentary directed by james lebrecht and nicole newnham and i so so the setup of this is uh we, we sort of open up the documentary and we're introduced to just one of these disabled campers who sort of found himself at this place called Camp Jeanette back in 1971. And when I say he's disabled, he he's in a wheelchair, and there's just a brief, brief introduction into what his life was like up until the point he's 15 years old, and he goes to this camp that uh, it's a place, uh, quote, uh, a loose, free-spirited camp designed for teens with disabilities. And the documentary starts us off with like, here, here are the struggles of these disabled campers, what their lives are like. We we follow like how they interact with the counselors. It's 1970s. So there's a lot of like 
uh, a hippie attitude there. A lot of the counselors are hippies. The founder of it was a hippie. Uh, it had been around from, uh, I think it started in the 1950s. And then it sort of changed and morphed throughout the 60s and 70s with the cultural moments of that time. And the documentary after the camping uh, or after that like period of time with all these campers, then it becomes about how these campers who sort of became friends in this time came together to become activists for the disability rights movement. And that's where the, the documentary really finds its stride because it really just definitely illustrates a, a lot of things about that activist movement that a lot of people don't know about. I definitely didn't know much about it. Uh, I had read a few things about like the little things of like how how America became way more accessible. Um, I knew sort of how that legislation came to be and a couple of the challenges and all of that, like kind of like chapters in history. This actually really takes you through how hard it was and the real like the blocks that they faced politically from um, multiple uh, political administrations, Democrat and Republican. And so I really, I don't have too much to say about like the nuts and bolts of this documentary. It's a well-made documentary. It's, it's very inspiring. It's, I, I really like how blunt and honest it is about who these uh, disabled people are and the fact that they have libidos and they have like human goals and desires that people don't think about and how they've been treated as not just second class citizens, but third and fourth class citizens their entire lives. And the documentary is just so great at putting you into their spirit and understanding who they are and, and why they're for the things that they're for. And, and just their struggle in general without making a painful spectacle of their, of, of the, the difficulties that they dealt with. So I appreciated how human these people were treated. And ultimately what this, what this documentary accomplishes is like you, and I bring this up in the same episode as Tiger King, cause you get so much more out of this. Like you actually, you can actually learn something. And it's, I think it's more entertaining personally than Tiger King without like the shock value stuff. Uh, there is some shock value in here of like, oh my gosh, did they just say that? You know, there's stuff like that, but uh, in a way that's certainly more, I think, uh, you know, uh, uh, like restoring my faith in humanity kind of way, if that makes any sense. So uh, I highly recommend this. I actually like this a little bit better than American Factory. I think it it really is far more cohesive than that documentary and and really just really well told uh, semblance of stories. So that's Crip Camp. Um, I give it a B plus. I really like this one. And I hope you catch it eventually. Well, I th- it's so easy to watch it and I, I think you'll get something out of it. Yeah, you said it's on Netflix right now? Yes, just in Netflix. Okay, cool. Uh, this The second film, the second documentary is uh, from Magnolia Pictures, and this one just did VOD. It premiered at Tribeca Film Festival. This is Slay the Dragon. This is a new documentary about gerrymandering in the United States. Uh, it was directed by Barack Goodman and Chris Durantz, and uh, this, this one's a little harder to talk about. Unlike Crip Camp, this one is, it's important to watch this movie. It's really hard to watch this movie. This one comes out um, actually in a couple of days. So by the time you're listening to this, most of you will be able to access it, but it will be officially released on April 3rd. But yeah, so gerrymandering, in case you're not aware of it, it's something that's existed for a long, long, long time. Gerrymandering is the political practice of essentially when we have a census here, uh, politicians who are elected to the state legislatures are allowed to draw the districting lines for a certain state. 
And what they're able to do is they're able to draw the lines in a way to protect themselves from being voted out of office. Because what they can do is they can draw lines that uh, put all of the people who tend to vote Democrat or tend to vote Republican, because it happens on both sides, they can put all of those people pack them into one district so they get fewer electoral votes, which means that it's a lot harder for people who are Democrats to vote for Democrat representatives. And this is something in the last 10 years that has been exceptionally abused by the Republican Party because in 2010, they had a huge blue tidal wave in the aftermath of Barack Obama's election to the presidency. And because of that tidal wave, uh, certain states were able to maintain Republican control across the board, uh, including Michigan, Wisconsin, I think Utah was one of the states, uh, a bunch of states, uh, North Carolina, that was the other big one. And the documentary kind of shows you, here are the effects of that. Like, here are the effects of how, uh, specifically, uh, the Flint water crisis in Michigan, because of this action, um, people were unable to hold their their elected officials accountable because the governor there, Scott Walker, did something extremely unpopular, which the documentary gets into, but because of gerrymandering, they got away with it. They they public opinion did not do what it's supposed to do. Protests did not sway these people because they knew they would get reelected. They knew that they had drawn the state maps in a way that they could do whatever they want because of the way political uh, identity and, and tribalism works. Now, a downfall of Slay the Dragon is that it doesn't get enough into why even in, even when somebody of a certain political party will do something terrible, they'll still get voted across the board by people of their own party. And there's not enough, I think, investigation, I think, into why Republicans in particular continue to vote for Republicans, um, even though what those Republicans are doing is against their interests. And I, I really wish this would have gotten into more of how political identity works and how complicated it is. And and obviously it happens with Democrats too. And this documentary doesn't get it. It kind of glosses over that sort of thing because it really focuses on the last 10 years. But I do wish that this had been more than just a, an introductory lesson in a gerrymandering because it is something that's been around for two, over 200 years. And it's something that has had huge, huge lasting effects in American history. And so it's it's not really a conclusive or I should say comprehensive documentary about gerrymandering and general. It's really more about gerrymandering in the last 10 years. And I think that's where the documentary is at its best of like, here's what's been going on the last 10 years you may not have realized. Uh, voter suppression in general, the what voter ID laws are doing. Um, it, it kind of highlights these special interest groups like Project Red Map and like, this, is, this exists and people just don't talk about it. It doesn't get reported on. And uh, yeah, there's certain aspects of this doc documentary that I do enjoy. There are other aspects that are a little bit, they just, you can tell it was made by a, a grassroots organization. Um, you can tell that uh, it its point of view is heavily, heavily swayed. I don't have anything against that. I think that this movie, this documentary certainly earns its like righteous indignation, but I wish it had been a little bit more upfront about like who the filmmakers are and like where they stand with this certain political organization. I, I think that would have gone a long way to really understanding, like going into this, like this is a heavily partisan documentary 
And I just wish they had been slightly more upfront about that. And in some ways they are, so I don't want to make it sound like that's a huge slight against the, the documentary. I still think it's it's really important to watch. I, I think that uh, even if you disagree with some of the key points, it's going to at least introduce you to this problem and what what this problem does. And I think that uh, one, one of my favorite things about the documentary is it highlights how poisonous to democracy it is when gerrymandering is allowed to happen unchecked. One of the things that I didn't realize before I saw this documentary is that what it what it mainly does is it targets moderate Republicans and Democrats. It makes it so that the only people getting elected and representing in Congress right now are hyper-partisan people, like very polarizing people. Because people who would normally win districts, districts as a more conservative Democrat or a more progressive Republican, those people don't really exist in our politics as much anymore because of redistricting. So what we really have is just this really hyper-partisan political environment that's just making it really hard for the government to do anything. So that was something that I did find really compelling about this documentary that was something that I hadn't really kind of just noticed before as somebody who certainly reads the news uh, my fair share. So all that said, I think it's worth a watch uh, as long as you understand it going in. And I think that uh, it's a shame this didn't have uh, its theatrical release because I think that it would have been great to see this with a group of people and sort of talk to people after the movie uh, and see what they think about it. But unfortunately, that is not the case. Um, that said, Slay the Dragon, good documentary. I give it a B minus, uh, really high B minus, like almost a B. And uh, still think it's worth plenty of people's time uh, if you already know that you want to seek it out. All right, that's everything we got for you all this week. Kind of a short episode. Uh, we're kind of working on a few things that we want to do, some special things to kind of lighten the tension a bit. Uh, but to be honest, well, I don't know what we're going to be talking about. If we're going to be talking about any new movies next week, I don't know what they are because I haven't even looked at the release schedule. I feel yeah. like we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants here. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it tends, it, it's looking like it might be either Trolls World Tour, maybe. Maybe. Or if if Lovebirds comes to Netflix, that's an option. Um, like we said, yeah, we always, we, I hope it's Lovebirds. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that really does hit. Yeah. I mean, we do have trolls coming out like that's confirmed for Friday. So that, that is a fallback. I um, guess I, then, I still haven't seen the first trolls. Do I got to watch the first trolls that we're doing? I mean, <laughs> how do I watch the John, first trolls? <laughs> this life is your own. You choose what you want to do. <laughs> well, Ashton's going to watch trolls world tour and I'm going to sit back and right. eat some popcorn. Sure. Uh, that, I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying I'm weighing our options, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess there's also, I mean, we propose like what, like Watchmen and a few others as possibilities. Yeah. So. Catch up reviews. We haven't gotten a lot of interest in that, um, from the comments, okay. but we, we're still sure. reading all the comments that all the suggestions you all have, if there's anything on your radar, something we might've missed, like kind of how Tiger King and Bloodshot, we kind of missed those mm -hmm. two. So if anything like that, uh, you think we should the be tackling jokers the movie oh my gosh will ashton i swear <laughs> that ca that that is that is now available <sighs> as of today on digital uh for digital rental i think or digital uh, buy, whatever it is. yeah uh, one other thing that i thought about talking about this week but i'm gonna save is plot against america on hbo which is okay. uh really tough that is a tough show to watch right now but if okay. you have the wherewithal i think you should see it but yeah, other things uh, that might come our way, just just let us know if there's anything in particular. Otherwise, we're just going to kind of uh, kind of work with what we got. Um, we'll we'll mm -hmm. touch base with you all next week on all of that. For now, uh, don't forget to go to ratethispodcast.com slash cinemaholics to rate this podcast. And uh, we're on social media. So find us on Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff's in the show notes. As always, we'll see you all next week from the Internet, California. I'm John Agroni. 
And for the internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Lashin. See you next time. Oh, my sound mixer box ran out. Oh, drat. Drat.